Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. Everybody and really huge welcome to our celebration of The Hobbit, our tea party for The Hobbit. Um, so how we're going to do this, just so you know what we're planning to do, we won't keep you long. We're going to enjoy the fact, enjoy The Hobbit, basically. It's we're going to have a, a quick recap of the history of The Hobbit and the influences and that kind of thing. It's a reader thing, so it's a reader log. So it's a, it's I'm just going to mute some people. Maybe I'm probably not going to uh, mute Let me just mute. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a live thing. Yeah, whoever that is chatting, I need to mute you. There we go. Let's try that again. Well, some great names here. I, I'm really interested in some of these names, everybody. We can chat about that later. Okay. So um, when we will love to have your feedback, but when we do that, if you could do that by coming off mute and saying your piece and going back on mute, it just makes the soundtrack tidier for people. Lovely. Um, we're going to start off by just having a little recap on how The Hobbit got written, and I've got something very special to show you. Um, then we're going to do a round of everybody to say their favourite moments in the book. Um, we'll just do one each um, and see what people you know, have to say about that. Then we'll do any questions if anyone wants to raise a question for the group or just generally give their a pine. And then we'll do a quiz. And the quiz says 15 questions. Um, and we'll be looking for a winner. And the winner will get some uh, a prize, which will be um, from our shop, which will have nice fantasy-related stuff. So. Right, I'm just having to also put people on mute. Lovely. Okay, so Jacob is joining me. Jacob, do you want to say a little... Well, I'll introduce myself oh, first. Awesome. How about that? Uh, I'm Julia Golding. Um, I run the centre, the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Um, so I'm sort of behind all of these initiatives, myself and my trusty um, co-worker, Joyce. Uh, we're a little tiny little charity, but we have managed to... We've got a big reach now because we're doing all sorts of classes with tutors, teaching creative writing. Um, we're doing a podcast. We've got a centre that's going to be open in September, which I can tell you more about if you want to ask. There's a page about it on the website um, where people can come and stay in Oxford. Um, so there's all sorts of things happening. Uh, but 
the other half of my life, as you can see from behind me, that actually behind me is a bookcase of my books. I'm also a, a writer, still being published. I've published under three names, Julia Golding, Josh Sterling and Eve Edwards. And I've been working today on my next novel with Harper Collins, for example. So I also keep my foot very much firmly in the world of carrying on publishing, uh, which I think is important. If I'm claiming to teach creative writing, I should still be doing it. Um, but fundamentally, I'm here because Tolkien was the writer who flicked that switch in me to be a writer myself. And I absolutely adore his books. And I go back to them. They are my touchstones. And I imagine I'm talking to a whole load of people for whom that is true. Otherwise, it'd be odd that you were here. Um, so over to you, Jacob. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, just really quickly, Jacob Reneker, I'm a scholar of the fantastic uh, world mythology, uh, the dark arts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I am an author and uh, my full-time uh, profession right now is uh, involves doing narrative design uh, for Ravensburger Games. You know those big brushes for cows? Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, right, let me just... Sorry, I'm also, thank you. Thank you, Anna. I just muted herself. Lovely. So let's just think a little bit about the context in which The Hobbit came out. Now, I've had two privileges in my life. The first is I've sat in the room where The Hobbit was first told. So uh, next door to the house in which he actually wrote the book down uh, and The Lord of the Rings, he lived next door at number 18, um, what was it number 22? Anyway, it's next door to 20 Northmore Road. And that's before his family grew, outgrew that house. And it was in that house they started telling the story. And so as a bedtime story. And so when I went to see the neighbours there, we sat in the room. They said, this was where, this the room where it happened, to borrow a phrase. Um, and then, of course, I've also been in next door in 20 Northmore Road, where he then wrote it all down. But also I have um, here in my hand a first edition of The mm. Hobbit. I've got this because my husband's granddad was an academic in Leeds, where Tolkien was, and they played squash together. Tolkien was very sporty, which you may not have factored in, because he you always see the older Tolkien, don't you? Um, and so the family knew about Tolkien. So when their family friend started publishing these children's books, this was the book that my mother-in-law was given. And I was looking at today, it is the first edition. Um, it's been much read. And as I was saying to Susan before you arrived, it's got the old version of the Riddles game in it. So there you are, everybody. It's, it's a beautiful edition. It's lost its dust cover, but it does have the original illustrations and what have you. So it's published in 1937, just before the Second World War. Jacob, do you want to tell us a little bit about the kind of sources from mythology that Tolkien's drawing on? Right, yeah. And you see, these are, you know, it should be no surprise to readers of any of Tolkien's other works, either academic or uh, fiction, that he's drawing from his you know, deep personal investment in Norse mythology, right? Germanic uh, languages, um, Indo European, uh, lots, uh, lots that he's drawing from, that kind of stew uh, <laughs> story that he's dipping from. So you have uh, in 
around the same time that you have uh, The Hobbit published, you also have his famous lecture on Beowulf, uh, the Beowulf, the Monsters and the Critics. Uh, and so you see a lot of kind of echoes there, especially in uh, Smaug, right, as this kind of cunning, intelligent uh, dragon, not just a kind of brute who breathes fire and knocks over buildings, although he does and can and does <laughs> do that but kind of the more like wily uh uh almost kind of serpentine uh sort of dragon uh so that's yeah so that's really fun uh to see to see that uh appear in the text the names of uh the different uh dwarves are largely uh evocative of the poetic edda prose eddas as well um you do have some i think some some brothers grim uh kind of folk tales germanic folk tales uh that are kind of i think uh peeking in a little bit in how the dwarves act uh particularly in again the grim's fairy tale uh versions of say snow white uh rose red um uh those sort of stories um but yeah so those are just kind of a, a smattering of them but again just tying into tolkien's personal kind of uh immersion in uh more uh, you know norse uh old english uh and germanic uh languages and literature you just kind of see echoes of that here yeah, and also just to say um, that Tolkien's not only influenced by the past, which I expect most of you coming here has sort of had awareness of this. There's a great book by Holly Ordway, who I'm interviewing next week, um, called Tolkien's Modern Reading, which talks about the contemporary things he was reading, like um, Nesbitt, uh, mm. Kipling, um, uh, J.M. Barry, And you can see the sort of nursery tales, should we call it? The influence is, is very strongly felt in The Hobbit because he's reading books to his kids. So when he writes a book for his kids, he's got that narratorial voice in his head, um, which I think is why, um, you know, it's a very, it feels very different from Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? Um, there's, there's things like, looking at it as a writer, there's things where he compares stuff in the book to things that are outside the world of the book, like um, Smaug whistles like a steam engine or something. There's one of those, and that's much more because it's from a nursery setting. So um, that explains the origins of those. It's within a certain trend. It makes sense in 1930s to be telling a story this way. The other thing about it um, that I think is worth telling is I think the book shifts as it goes along a bit like lord of the rings did but in in a way the world starts very small and then it becomes enormous as his imagination goes on this you know the battle of five armies which i probably you all when you reread it was it smaller than you remember because it's a bit like um the battles in narnia you read them as a child and they're enormous but then you go back and look at the text and it's like a paragraph you know it was sort of happy so um but you can see that he's opening it out to more and more um, different peoples coming into that big sort of showdown at the end. Um, so that's a little bit about The Hobbit. Um, but I thought now, because we've just all had a, a fun rereading it, um, we'd have a little round of our favourite moments. So what would really help me is if you want to give us a favourite moment is use the hands up icon, which if you look down the bottom of Zoom, 
sits somewhere down there. Um, just take your mouse down to the bottom. And um, I think it's under reactions. Yeah, I think it's under there. Um, so just put your hands up. So starting with you, Jacob, have you got <coughs> favorite moment from The Hobbit? Uh, yeah, well, this at least this time around, uh, rereading it, you know, just a few weeks ago, uh, it was the reconciliation uh, of Thorin and Bilbo. That was just really, really beautiful. You know, this there was as, as much levity as there is and joking around here. Uh, just the fact you know, that the author, you know, the, the the narrator points out that this is strange, right? So after they give their final farewell, Thorin kind of water into the bridge. They're sorry. Uh, sorry about how this played out. Bilbo was sorry. They're both sorry, but they're both happy that they're uh that now that right before thorin's death that they've kind of you know uh, buried the hatchet if you will um and kind of become friends again and then it says bilbo turned away and went by himself and sat alone wrapped in a blanket and whether you believe it or not he wept so this is you know unexpected to see bilbo kind of sitting there weeping because that's not what we've seen in him before so it's this kind of this this is where i think one of the the, the times that you see tolkien's larger themes of sorrow and joy kind of intermingled uh, a beautiful example of that in this tale um, that just kind of t tugged at me a little bit more uh, reading it this time around. Yeah, absolutely. I've, and for me, uh, funnily enough, my favorite moment came right at the end because I don't think I've ever given it much attention um, because it's the last page, but I don't know, somehow I've never actually pondered it. Um, Bilbo says to Gandalf, then the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true after a fashion. Because he suddenly realised he's been a character in a bigger tale, which is a bit like that bit with Sam and Frodo in Lord of the Rings. And I love Gandalf's response, which is, of course. And why should not they prove true? Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit? And then they sit down the smoke pipe together. Um, but I love that idea of that sort of perspective on the tale, which I, I think I've always rushed before. And actually, this time I really appreciate it. OK, uh, we have a hand up from Andrew. Hello, Andrew. It's lovely to talk to you. Um, he's I know Andrew. He's down in Australia. So what was your favourite part of the story. Hello, Julia and everyone. It's great to be here. <laughs> um, and oh, so, so many moments, but my favourite would have to be the uh, the troll scene. Um, and the reason it's it's that perfect, uh, you know, that, oh, no, they're in danger. Quick, well, what's going to happen? But then, you know, with, with the trolls insulting each other and, and mistaking what Bilbo was, was telling them, you know, what's a... A burr, a hobbit, what's that? It's, it's just that perfect blend of, oh, no, tension and humour, uh, I find. Yeah, thank you. And uh, and audio-wise, uh, audio Martin Shaw's rendition in particular is fantastic. Yeah, Andrew and I, we talk about uh, audiobooks a lot because Andrew gets his from the audio. Uh, presumably there's now an anti-circus version as well, I imagine. Oh, yes, very, yeah. that's very good too. Good. So uh, if you want to know anything about audiobooks, ask Andrew. Um, Melissa, you've got your hand up. What would you like to tell us about your favourite bit? Yeah. Hi. Um, it's 
it's just it's mostly a sentence. It's on for me what a page one ninety seven. I I guess that's not very helpful, but um, in chapter twelve. And he says, uh, he writes, going on from there was the bravest thing he ever did. Um, and he fought the real battle in the tunnel alone. And I just thought mm. the book shifted for me there. Like it just was kind of opened up in a weird way. And I was like, oh, this is a moment. And it's also a moment I feel like we've all had in some way, um, maybe in our lives. There, there are certain places in the book where I feel like it's either very personal for him or he's looping us into a very human thing. Um, like when he talks about he was tired, tireder than he'd ever been before. And I just, I don't know. It just, that part hooked me. The kind of world opened up for Bilbo. He definitely takes more agency, doesn't he? I suppose that's a yeah. way of saying it. Um, yeah. And he gets, and you're right, that is the moment. He also has a bit of that when he decides not to back away from the trolls, Andrew's trolls. But I think that moment is a bit haphazard. He's kind of making a lot of mistakes. Whereas right. then, when he's on his own, it's the first time he's really on his own. Um, right. Which is great. Thank you, Melissa. Um, Cara, you've got your hand up. I think my... she is one of. Let me just tell you a little bit, Cara. Cara sits in South Africa, and she's one of the amazing team who helped me do all our social media, and she helped organise this. So well done, Cara. Cara, uh, but she's also a fan. <laughs> oh yes. Shame. So, Thank which you, was your favourite bit, Cara? Uh, my favourite has to be when they've just escaped the Goblin Tunnels and they're climbing up the trees, and it's just that whole concept of out of the frying pan into the fire. I. It's, I think it's partly nostalgic for me because my introduction to Tolkien was my brother and I, um, he's much older than me. He's 12 years older than me. So when I was about 10, he listened to the Hobbit audiobook with me. And that was my introduction to Tolkien. And I just remember that section of the book in particular was just so, it's like burned into my brain because mm. it's just like shame. They've poor Bulbo. He's been through so much. He didn't even initially want to go on this adventure. He's just been through such an ordeal with Gollum and everything. And then now the wargs are meeting in the field and the goblins are after them. And it's just, it's just such an epic image of the eagles coming down to save them as well, because like you're wondering how could they possibly get out of the situation? And it was just such an amazing piece of writing to me. And it's just part nostalgia, part just Tolkien's brilliance. I love it so much. Thank you. Anybody else want to tell us their favorite part? Okay, nobody else putting up their hands, but that's fine. Oh, <coughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, so, Carrie. Hello, Carrie. You need to uh, let me unmute you so I can uh, ask to unmute. There we go. I think you need to press the space bar or something. Carrie, can you find a way of speaking to us? If you go onto your screen and hover over it, um, you should be able to see in the top right-hand corner, there's a little blue lozenge where it says, you should be able to speak to us, actually. Try speaking. Uh, you're unmuted, but I think you might have your, your microphone might be down or something. Okay, whilst um, Carrie is sorting out her technical issues, um, I'm going to go to Dario. Dario, would you like to tell us your favourite bits? 
Um, good evening. Um, my favourite, um, well, it's a, it's a meeting um, between Gandalf and, and, and Bilbo when they first meet, because that's the, uh, the point when the entire adventure starts. And, uh, yeah. It's a life-changing, um, let's say, event for, for uh, Bilbo. And so I think that this is the most epic scene uh, in, the, uh, in The Hobbit, because that's the, the point when everything begins, and, and that's a life-changing event for him. And then he, um, he doesn't want to be part of that adventure at the beginning, but then he realized maybe that that was a big um, thing for him to be part of that. Yeah, and, and the comedy of it, because he's trying to be so polite. Yes. But absolutely, um, he's really, really annoyed. <laughs> he basically wants to tell him to go away, but he can't bring himself to say that. Uh, and then those funny exchanges about good morning. Is it a good morning or is it a morning to be good on? You know, all that stuff. Great fun. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Simon, you've got something, a favourite favorite moment. Yes, uh, it's a piece really right at the beginning of the book. Um, it's the unexpected party. Um, when I sort of first read the book, it's a long, many years ago now, um, Tolkien paints uh, this quiet village life. Things go along very, very smoothly. There's no problems at all. Everything works really well. Uh, he, he lives in his, in his little hobbit hole. He likes doing cooking and things like that and gardening and all those sort of things. And, and then suddenly something comes to disrupt this. He, he's met with Gandalf and sort of thrown Gandalf away. And then he has a knock on the door, an unexpected, uh, I think it's Thorin, is it Thorin, who comes in first. And um, he he's completely taken by surprise, but he has to um, show respect and um, courtesy and things like that, and uh, very, very, very hospitable. And um, he um, he does all those things, and, and then there's then there's another knock on the door. In, and by the time we've got thirteen dwarves there, all banging about and things like that, and he, he's rushing around trying to get cakes and things for everybody, he rushed off his feet. And I, I thought, like the contrast uh, from his sort of quiet little life to um, what's, you know, suddenly took place. Uh, that, for me, was a really like, nice start to the story. And as we know, it develops into other things, but uh, it's really lovely. Yes, and, it, and you can tell he kind of gets disassembled, doesn't he? So he starts off all sort of buttoned up. And then hmm. gradually, like trying to be the host. And then as the book goes along, he loses his buttons, he gets ragged. And, and you know, basically by the time they get to um, uh, Late Town, they're, they're pretty much reliant on handouts. Yeah. I love that. He's sort of getting more and more rakish as he goes along, more and more piratical. We've got a couple of um, people talking in the chat. So we've got Christina saying she'll write her response. One of my favourite parts of The Hobbit is when Bilbo fights the spiders in Mirkwood. I feel like this is when Bilbo's bravery really begins. He jumps into his Tukish side. And not only that, but he names his sword right after, at this point, he has accepted the adventure. Yes, you're right. I'd, 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 uh, kind of, I mean, I sort of knew that was the moment, but it, it was good reading it again to see that. Um, Jacob, I don't know if you want to read... Um, the mysteriously named iPad uh, to everybody. Yes. Okay. Uh, our anonymous, uh, mysterious, appropriately mysterious uh, <laughs> contributor here says, one of my favorite parts is actually the beginning when all the dwarves are arriving unexpectedly at Bilbo's house. I empathize with him. 
I am kind of an introvert and it would probably throw me for a loop if all these folks just showed up at my door. <laughs> and I, I agree. Uh, I feel like I'm also part Baggins and part Took and can relate to Bilbo's struggle with himself. Plus, it's fun to see all the different personalities of the dwarves. So, yeah, that is a very fun part. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Carrie, can we hear you now? Can you hear me? Yes, hooray. Great. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, something that continues to fascinate me is always the encounters with the elves just throughout the book. Um when they, I mean, it's not till chapter eight, you know, when they, they're almost chasing the elven lights through the forest and, and it's just out of reach because when I was a kid, I always felt magic was just out of my reach. Like if I just went around that corner or just stood in that, that ring of toadstools that, that it would be there. <laughs> and so the elves were always fascinating to me. And when I was a kid, I would read, I would sometimes read through the songs quickly, but now uh, being older, I read through them and listened to them, um, as done by the Tolkien ensemble and a couple others. And they've done some really beautiful renditions of the songs. And I really enjoy those. So for me, the elves were always a favorite. <laughs> oh, um, so if you've got a, a link to any of those, do put them in the chat. Cause I think the oh, elves... Okay. The elven songs in The Hobbit aren't as good as the ones in The Lord of the Rings, I don't think. No, actually, there's a version. The two at the very, very end are really pretty, but I'll see if I can find a link. Okay, lovely. Thank you, Carrie. Um, Also, I think one of the interesting things I noticed reading it this time through is how... um, that The the Woodland Elves, there is very much an echo of the Wild Hunt the folkloric wild hunt, which is something which you don't see again, this idea of a hunt that goes on in the distance um, that you, that, you know, you glimpse in the woodland is very strong there, which is an old folkloric thing from the British Isles. I hadn't noticed that before, but it's definitely referenced there. Jacob's nodding. So I I got that right. Didn't I, Jacob? Yeah. He's saying, yeah, yeah, you did. Uh, uh, Kathy Heinzman, would you like to say, what your favorite part is. Hi, hello. Hi, Kathy. Yes. Hi. Um, I think one of my favorite parts, and of course I grew up on this book too, and it's inside me like everybody else here, I'm sure. But I really loved the um the encounter with smog and the whole cat and mouse and the psychological kind of richness of those scenes. Um, and one of the favorite parts is when they're going back and forth and he says, um, and Smog finally kind of laughs at him and says, and how are you think you're going to get all this uh, treasure out of here anyway? How are you going to remove it? And it says, now a nasty suspicion began to grow in his mind. Had the dwarves forgotten this important point too? Or were they laughing in their sleeves at him all the time? That is the effect that Dragon Talk has on the inexperienced. Bilbo, of course, ought to have been on his guard, but Smog had rather an overwhelming personality. And I just love the whole kind of David and Goliath kind of, uh, but in a psychological way. And in a way, it feels to me like, it always felt to me like Bilbo, he um, he uses all of his resources, but mostly his, his feelings and his intelligence, um, as well as the ring's invisibility to, um, to get the better of smog. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. I mean, that's about... The, the several smiled moments are just 
Um, wonderful. So the other thing I thought would be worth raising now, as we got, um, we've just done a, a reading of The Hobbit, is just to have a little moment to express your views about the adaptation of it. Because uh, reading it this time, I thought I'm really enjoying this. I'm also enjoying the way some things are dialed down. So, for example, the master of Lake Town is very different, um, and some of the the sort of diversions the the film version went on uh, are not there. So, I was really enjoying sort of the young, you know, reading it in the original version. Um, so, if you want to say anything, you might be a real fan of the movie versions film versions um do do shout out but if there's anything that you appreciated more having seen the films perhaps it's your last time you read it uh by going back to the book that would also be good to hear jacob have you got a a view on this yeah i mean hmm. <laughs> it's a whole that's a whole can of worms but i think but i think yeah like any any adaptation like it's its own thing and so you really have to look at it as kind of a separate, more of an inspired by than uh, a actual full retelling, even though that's what it's billed at, but it can't be. So yeah, I, I do, I mean, the visuals are uh, astounding. And so I think like the colors that it provides, right? It just kind of the, the, the cinematography, these kind of sweeping landscapes, especially like the um, uh, Bilbo kind of emerging at the top of the tree, right? When he's, when he's coming up to take a look around to see where they are in the forest and the butterflies, just like that scene is just gorgeous. And so I think that that, that image really kind of captured a sense of magic i think deep magic that the hobbit evokes as a whole um so yes in terms of like moments that was one that i think was was really nice that i think amplified that so i couldn't help but think of that scene now rereading the hobbit when bilbo's coming up and just kind of seeing the light you know how how it was you know uh touching the different leaves and then yeah the kind of uh the the the, you know, the chorus of butterflies because they're not actually saying anything but uh <laughs> moving in concert if you will uh the, the butterflies coming up so that's one that kind of springs to mind for me yeah anybody else got anything they want to say about that It's Andrew. I've I've got something. Oh, Andrew, off you go. Um, I I quite like uh, you know a, a lot of people have mixed emotions about the movies, but I quite like them um, for the adaptation that they're of, of the book itself that they do. But then I really like how they've uh, expanded upon it and gone. Well, we know that you know Gandalf and the White Council went off to fight. The necromancer, okay, Sauron, <laughs> uh, but we don't really hear about it in the book, and I, I just really like how they sort of gave the movies more depth and sort of went, well, well what if that had been written, you know, and, it, yeah, it was really fun seeing them explore that. Thank you, Andrew. Um, yeah, uh, I agree. that It was nice to have an idea of what the White Council might have done before, Um Kirsten, you got your hand up. Kirsten is another of our wonderful South African people. <laughs> I actually can't remember if it's in the book. I can't remember if, you know, sometimes your mind gets kind of switched between what's actually in the movie and what's in the book. But I just thought a really beautiful part of the movie, even though there's a lot that I don't like about it, was where the, the dragon gets covered in gold. I just, it's such a beautiful scene and it's my favorite. I, I'll go back and watch that scene over and over when it comes up. So I do love that scene. That's 
that's not in the book. Okay. Well, I think that was so, a good a good addition like, then. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was really, really cool. Uh, and Cara, we've got you um, also wanting to. I, I actually, I recently rewatched all of the movies because, I mean, I was working on the readathon and like posting everything and it just got me into a hobbitish mood. And the first movie, like the first sort of half of the movie, I like, I remember going to the cinema to watch it. I love it. I still love it. And then it just, what gets me every time is when there's this introduction of like the dwarf elf romance. <sighs> it just, it grates me every time. It's just, I can even excuse maybe even the whole Azog side story because I, there there's a lot in the book that sort of happens like without context so I can see why you, they would need to like maybe fill some gaps for a movie audience that isn't actually into the books and all of that. But the, that romance is just unnecessary. It just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And it, yeah, I don't know. That's the one part of the movies that just, I can excuse a lot of other stuff, but that just like really, really gets me. Okay. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're perhaps echoing or giving voice to some people's views there. Um. We have another hand up from Dario. Dario, off you go. Well, um, obviously, it's not easy to uh, to film um, the, the the Hobbit because of all these yeah. um, particular yeah. scenes. But one of the most beautiful, uh, in my opinion, is when when they go into Bion's house because there you see all the carving and the wood carving there, and it's just, it's just amazing because it gives you an idea of the Anglo-Saxon world um, in which they the like say the the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings were set. So you have these wonderful carvings, and they give you such an um, well, you do not find them in the book, by the way. So it's not described the, the, all these carving. And this is a, a wonderful setting, um, like just reminding you that they say something which has to do with with the northern mythology. And then this is just a particular word. And uh, and I think that's just amazing. And um, you see the, the, the old North style house there, and, and that's great. Thank you. Yes, let, let's be fair, because they did an amazing job on just, you know, taking on such a... And also the other thing, of course, is they're making it after having made Lord of the Rings. So they started it the other way around. I think tonally different choices would have been made, probably. Um, so that that was, I think, part of what was going on there. Uh, Susan, you got your hand up. I just am wanting to say I've never seen the movies. Oh, well, there you go. But... but it seems to me that everybody who is saying what they like in the movies is all visual. And of course, movies are a visual medium. Whereas the book plays in your mind and and you can create what you want, which is what I've done, which is why I never saw the movies. That's yeah. all. It was just a comment. No, and that's a good point as well. It's um, When you watch something of a beloved book, you know you're sort of and sacrificing something of you know other images coming in um i would just say uh that i i would do a shout out for performances i thought that martin freeman is very good as um bilbo he's got really really interesting actor and obviously you know ian mckellen as gandalf kind of you know <laughs> i can't I haven't met anyone who doesn't like that yet um and also, Richard Armitage as Thorin. I also, well, I enjoyed the dwarves. I know they're a bit annoying in some ways because so many of them, but 
being it was a very difficult role to play, but they actually they I think the performances are good, is what I'm saying. Um, okay, so everybody, thank you so much for that. Um, we're now going to do our quiz because I promised I wouldn't keep you long. Um, so how the quiz works is it's uh, it looks like a poll. So um, there it's in two sections, and you can I will read it out, but you can work your way through in your own time. Um, and then I'll give you the right answers and I'll need you to tot up your own correct answers if you don't mind. I haven't got some fancy schmancy thing that will do that for me. So we're doing it on an honours system and I'm sure you're all honourable folk. Um, so let me just find... Uh, here we go. Can you all see? So this is a test of um, if you've been listening. In what year was The Hobbit first published? 1934, 1937, 1944, or 1952? Um, I'm just going to mute that. Yeah, so if you're, if you're talking at home, <clears throat> I will just mute you um, so that we don't hear the answers read out by the people who have come as family groups. Okay. So um, can everybody see the poll? Any problems with seeing the poll, the quiz? And you can just input your answers. If there's any problem with the tech, let me know because we did test this and it seemed to work. Okay, number two, which dwarf arrives first for the tea party? Is it Thorin? Is it Feely, otherwise known as one of the hot dwarves? Is it Barlin or is it Dwalin? So I'm not going to tell you the difference between those other dwarves. Number three is which dwarf plays a harp? Because I have forgotten that actually they bring their own instruments into the tea party when they arrive. Is it Thorin? Is it Feely? Is it Keely, who's the other Hot dwarf, or is it Ori? And I'm, by the way, all of these are about the book. They are not to do with the film, except for the reference to the the relative hotness of the dwarves, which Susan won't know. <laughs> but they managed to suggest that younger dwarves were better looking. Mind you, I'm more of a Richard Armitage person myself. Who are, no, what are the names of the trolls? This is one you've got to really scratch your head. Is it William, Bill, Tom, Bill, Henry, Tom, Tom, Bill, Bert, or Bert, Tom, Henry? Question number five is, which way round do dwarves organise their maps? I hope um, people to do with making games about Lord of the Rings know this. Is it east at the top? Is it west at the top? Is it south at the top? Or is it north at the top? What, number six, what does Orchrist mean? Does it mean foe hammer, goblin cleaver, foe smiter, or elf companion? Who kills the great goblin is number seven. Is it Gandalf? Is it Bilbo? Is it Thorin? Or does the great goblin himself fall to his death? Number eight, 
what is the answer to the first riddle told by Gollum? Is it teeth, eggs, wind or mountain? Number nine is who does Bilbo hold on to to escape the flaming pine trees? Is it Dory? Is it Gandalf? Is it the Lord of Eagles or is it Bomber? And the last one in this little, the first 10, is what does Bilbo dream about on the second night at Bjorn's house? I love Tolkien's dreams, by the way. They're scattered throughout um, his stories and they've always got real resonance. Does he dream about Bag End? Does he dream about honey cakes? Does he dream about enormous bees? Or does he dream about dancing bears? Right, so... Um, I'm going to end the poll in a moment and give you the answer to the first 10 questions. But I'm just going to wait for everybody to have a chance to think their way through that. Okay, so um, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, Four, three, two, one. That's it. End of poll. I'm going to now tell you the answers. So this is why I need you to count how many you've got right. The Hobbit was first published in 1937. So well done. 16 people got that right. Number two, which Dwarf arrives first. This is Splitters, hasn't it? Um, the right answer is Dwarlin. It goes Dwarlin, then Barlin, and then I couldn't tell you after that. Thorin is actually one of the last lot to arrive. So well done, the nine that picked Dwarlin. Number three is which dwarf plays a harp? Um, a majority of you got this right. It is Thorin. Well done. Kind of a, I'd love that. That's some detail they could have put in the film. I think it'd be nice to see a little, you know, one of those Welsh harp types, small ones, not a great big thing. That'd have been nice. Uh, number four, what are the name of the trolls? Um, this was just to confuse you, wasn't it? This was just because <laughs> basically they're sort of all similar names. And I think the majority of you got this right. It's Tom, Bill and Bert. Um, so 19 of you got that right. The funny thing about this is I've been asking myself is why are trolls, why are they called such English names? But there you go. Um, Julia, sorry. If you wanted people to see their answers, they're not, they're not popping up for us. Just uh -huh. in case. Let me share the results. Oh, thank you. Sorry, it's just I'm reading it. I'm reading it out from the screen. Sorry, everybody. No Thank you. I'm glad I've got someone keeping an eye on me. Um, there we go. So, which way round do dwarves organise their maps? Uh, again, we were split on this, but uh, we had a majority went for east. Yes, correct. And if you are wondering what on earth is this about, it's at the beginning, um, in the in the frontispiece. It says at the top points east up the top um and i was reading 
in the Holly Ordway book I mentioned that he actually wanted to have a uh, a map produced separately that you could actually pull out that was all kind of a proper a like, look like the map so you could actually take it out as a kid but they weren't able to do that I suppose it's cost probably but I like the idea that he actually wanted everyone to have this dwarven map um what does Orchris mean uh, again uh, it looks like the majority of you know it's goblin cleaver I think faux hammer is um Gandalf's one, Glendring. Uh, yeah, um, it's the, the the meaning of it. So anyway, uh, Orchrist is Goblin Cleaver, and I also noticed on this read through um, that he only gets Thorin only gets Orchrist back after death um, because the king, um, the elf king, gives it to him when he's well as part of his funeral because it is taken from him when he's a prisoner. Who kills the Great Goblin? I tried to trick you there. Um, it is Gandalf, everybody. Um, R.I.P. Barry Humphreys, who I think played the, in the film, The Great Goblin. Um, what is the answer to the first riddle? The answer is mountain. All of those others are answers to riddles. So this was, again, a bit of a... I'm trying to sort of make something a bit more difficult for you all. And who does Bilbo hold on to when escaping the pine trees? Um, well done. It is Dory. So eight of you got that right. Um, he doesn't actually get to hold on to an eagle at that point. Uh, and Bomber, not Bomber. Though Bomber does sort of carry him for quite a bit of it in various different points. So I know why you said that. And number 10, the last in this session, is what does he dream about? Rather delightfully, he dreams about dancing bears, which I really like that. Okay, so if you can tot up your right answers, and we will go on to um, part two once you've had a chance. So just make a note of how many you got right. And, oops, sorry, I just need to, there we are, back. Here is part two, only five questions. Obviously I've done 15 questions because that's the number of uh, 13 dwarves plus Bilbo and Gandalf. So question number one. What does Bilbo see from the top of the trees in Mirkwood? Is it Thranduil's kingdom? Is it black butterflies? Is it the lonely mountain? Is it the land upon lands beyond Mirkwood? Question number two is where does Bilbo get the keys to the dwarves' cells when they're in the Thranduil's kingdom? Is it from the chief guard? Is it from the butler galleon? Is it from Legolas? Or is it off, that should read hook rather than hood. Sorry, I didn't proofread this. Off a hook on the wall. Number three, what title does Bilbo not give himself when talking to Smaug? Is it 
barrel rider, ring bearer, luck wearer, or friend of bears. Three of those he uses when he's saying who he is, and one of them he doesn't. Uh, number four is what does Bilbo not get? Another of my not get questions. What does he not get from the dwarves' treasury? Does he not get a mithril coat, a pearl and crystal belt, a leather helm with white gems, or a stout shield with scarlet stones? Okay, I'm doing a lot of negatives here. It was because I was told to make sure they only had one answer. So this is why it's like this. Um, what species or race is not counted among the five armies that make up the Battle of Five Armies? This has always confused me. And this time on the read-through, I saw there was actually a sentence that tells you who the five armies are. So which one isn't? Goblins, eagles, wolves, men or dwarves or elves? Goblins, eagles, wolves, men, dwarves, elves. Which are which one isn't counted as a separate army for that battle? Okay, so um, if you could put in your answers, just wait to see. I can. Oh, I can see who's who's taking part. I hadn't. So this is we've. We, this is the first time we've used this way of doing it. So I can see who is still thinking. Seventy percent of you have put in your answers. And Sue, lovely to um, see you as well. Sue was just saying hi to me. Sue's been through one of our courses. Very, as has Val, it's lovely to see you all pitching up here as well. Okay, um, we got 28 of 36. So I'm going to do another countdown of 10. Some of us may not be participating like me because <laughs> I'm the question master. Um, so now or never. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay. Right. You should this time be able to share, see the results. Good. So the answer to um, question number 11 is actually... Funnily enough, Jacob didn't know the content of this, but he gave some of it away because he mentioned the butterflies. There are black butterflies that are seen. Um, he doesn't see anything else because it's described as being in like a shallow dish. So he can't see beyond Mirkwood. He's very dispirited, which is different from the film where he sees, you know, he sees beyond, which I think was... Um, would have confused some of us. Um, so where does he get the key? Well, he gets it from the chief guard. The chief guard and the butler are having a very powerful wine that they're drinking together. That, that bit is, so the butler's there, but it's the key is on the guard. Um, number, th number three, um, what title does he not give him? He doesn't call himself 
obviously, if you think about it, he doesn't call himself ring bearer because that's what Frodo is called. But he does mention his all the other things. It is, if you skip that chapter, it's worth just reading that interchange. One of us was mentioning how it's one of their favourite because his address to Smaug is just so wonderful. Oh, Smaug, the magnificent, oh, Smaug, the, you know, it just gets wonderful terms, very funny. Okay, what does he not get from the treasury? He actually gets quite a lot of things. Obviously, the mithril coat that then becomes iconic in Frodo, but he doesn't get a shield. He gets all the rest. A stout shield of scarlet stones I made up. And number five, um, that the the Battle of the Five Armies is um, the... So I'm just muting a few folk. Um, Eagles are not counted as a separate army. Um, The actual ones described are goblins, wolves, men, dwarves and elves. That's partly because the eagles come later and they also come with Bjorn's people, but they, they stick with the original name for it is those people. Um, and goblins are, you know, basically sort of the orc-like characters. Um, men are from Lake Town and Dale. Dwarves are the dwarves. And the elves are the woodland elves, uh, Thranduil's bunch. So um, please can you count up how many you got right? Uh, there were 15. If you got somewhere above 10, correct, would you like to share it in the chat? Um, and we'll have a look and see if we can um, find a winner. So SB got a very decent 11. Anybody else got more than 11? Looks like 11 may be our winner. Jacob, did you take part in that? I did not. Oh, I was going to put you on the spot there. <laughs> How do you think you would have done? I think I would have done decent, but like the which dwarf got there first and who is it's the, the dwarves? Yeah. The dwarf questions would have just, yeah. Lorraine said she missed, she lost count. Uh, we have to actually have a, a total for for that. But well done if you got over ten. I, I I purposely put in. Oh dear, Carrie said Zoom dropped her and didn't hit submit. Oh, so I think um, SB. SB, you've probably got a name that's more than SB. Which we 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 will mark you our winner uh, and crown you the king or queen of um, of Middle Earth for today. So if you would like to direct message us with your email, then we can get in contact with you about your prize. But I hope everybody found the actual big prize of this was just spending an hour with the Hobbit. Um, yeah, and it's been huge fun. I've really enjoyed this readathon. So thank you everybody for making it and all your lovely contributions. Um, we they don't disappear off Facebook and Instagram. They'll be there for a while. So uh, thank you so much. And SB, don't go without telling us um, who you are. 
I, I will stay here so you've got a, ch- a chance to message us. But everybody else, thank you very much for coming. Thanks for listening to MythMakers Podcast, brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide. Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing.